Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name is Alexis Okerlov, and I'm a freelance writer. I publish often in The New Yorker, and I'm the author of A Moonless Starless Sky, Ordinary Women and Men Fighting Extremism in Africa. These days, Alexis is a celebrated writer. She's just published her first book and has a coveted role as a staff writer for The New Yorker. But it hasn't always been this way. When Alexis graduated Princeton University in 2006, she was a little lost. My senior year of college, I knew I wanted to get a job in journalism, but it was proving pretty difficult to find a job in New York. So there was this program at my alma mater that placed recent graduates in internships um, across the continent of Africa. And one of them was at a state-run newspaper in Uganda. So I kind of applied for it blindly. I'd never been to Uganda, but I thought it sounded interesting and I ended up getting it. So a young 20-something, Alexis was there in Kampala. She was given the role of junior reporter and told to go and find stories. I had a lot of freedom to pursue all types of stories and they let me travel around the country. It was just a really um, nice way to to kind of learn um, how to how to be abroad, how to work abroad, and also how to learn the grind of being on a daily newspaper, but in a completely unexpected setting. Once the internship had finished, Alexis stayed on, working in the country until months later she headed back to the US. But she'd fallen in love with East Africa. Her parents were from the west of the continent, Nigeria, and she had grown up in Alabama in the US, but she'd always felt an instinctive curiosity to learn more about the continent of her ancestors. She writes, Feeling neither wholly American nor African, I came to see myself as an outsider in both places, an observer at the fringes. It was a perspective that helped me learn to report with clarity. Alexis relished the idea of telling stories from across the African continent, beyond the sensationalised and frequently patronising foreign reporting she'd read. So in 2012, a few years later, she found herself getting back on the plane. She was heading back to Uganda. This time Alexis was working as a freelance journalist. She was in the country to research a story about gay rights, and the research was going well. But the outside world seemed to care about just one thing. The wanted man is Joseph Coney, charged with abducting huge numbers of children, forcing them to kill and mutilate innocent victims. 
For decades, a vicious rebel group, the Lord's Resistance Army, or LRA, had terrorised swathes of Uganda. They decimated villages, attacked refugee camps and abducted tens of thousands of children, forcing them to fight or serve the troops. The country was locked in a long and bloody cat-and-mouse chase, as government troops desperately tried to put down the insurgency. But for many in the West, the first time the news of the conflict really hit home was 2012. Our goal is to change the conversation of our culture and get people to ask, who is Joseph Kony? We have printed hundreds of thousands of posters, stickers, yard signs and flyers that are right now, today, being put up in major cities all Until this week, few Americans had heard of Joseph Kony or the atrocities he is said to have committed in Central Africa. But watch what happened when a charity posted a video on the internet to raise awareness about Kony and his alleged crimes. Back in 2012, Invisible Children, a video about the LRA and its leader Joseph Kony went viral. To date, it's had more than 102 million hits on YouTube. Yeah, that's what made Joseph Kony famous, as they said. Um, but yeah, again, it was painted as like, you know, rescue the poor Ugandan people. And it's, and it's like, you know, they, they rescued a lot of people who got caught up in that rebel group, um, rescued themselves. They escaped by themselves, you know, through not much help from the Ugandan government or, you know, any NGO that was supposed to come in and save them. And now they're trying to, you know, live in the aftermath of that. And the best way anyone outside of that can help is not by trying to go in and, and rescue them, but to, to, rec to see and recognize what they're doing and to appreciate that. Rather than perpetuate the old worn-out narrative of white people needing to save poor Africans, Alexis, herself a mixture of African heritage and American birth, wanted to tell these stories a different way. I think that if we are going to tell these stories um, of war, and, um, and, and society is upended by terrorism, let's tell them in a different way. Let's talk about um, the people who um, are living at the center of them so that people far away can feel empathy, so that when people hear about a terrorist attack in Somalia that killed 500 people, they can begin to think about it in a way that resembles the way they think about a terrorist attack in Paris or in Las Vegas. There's this incredible, you know, saddening distance um, that people feel towards um, tragic situations in Africa. They can't imagine, you know, the mothers, the students, um, the people just trying to get on with the business of living, like going to work and going to school and having love and worries in their lives. And I think that's really the fault of, of the media, of the people who are telling the stories about what's going on in these places. So Alexis was, of course, aware of the LRA, but she was certain she didn't want to add to the already two-dimensional Western perspective reporting on the issue. What more was there to say on that? But then one day, her friend, a photographer, told her something she'd never heard before. About these couples that had been, that had been abducted by the LRA when they were children, had sort of forced to, had been forced to be together while in captivity and have children live lives together and then escaped. And that once they escaped, they decided to reunite, you know, while free and, 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 um, try to lead lives of some kind of normalcy. And I had never heard of this before and I was um, immediately intrigued. She wanted to know more. 
So she arranged with her photographer friend to travel north. And that took about like five or six hours. Should be only four hours, but the roads were bad. And then we got to Gulu, and then and then we took a we took motorbikes, or we actually we took one motorbike. So it's like um, Victor, who was the interpreter slash guide, was driving the motorbike, and then um, myself and 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 and, and today, the photographer were on the bike behind him. So it was like three of us on this bike. And we rode to this to their village. They met up with a local NGO, and workers there were able to put them in touch with couples that had been forced together under the Lord's Resistance Army, the LRA. But amongst all those she spoke to, there was one couple that really stood out. You know, some Bosco, and I realized that their story was something I had never heard before, and, and something I wanted to get to know deeper. And you know, some Bosco welcomed the welcomed us into their home. And we sat down with them and we just uh, had sort of an introductory conversation where um, they already knew who the Refugee Law Project people were, but I introduced myself, uh, the photographer introduced himself. And um, we just asked them to tell us just a little bit um, about their experiences. And just from that moment, from that initial moment, I, I knew that I wanted to spend more time with them. Alexis knew from the NGO she was talking to that Eunice and Bosco had met after a teenage Eunice was kidnapped and taken into the bush. There she'd been forced to marry. Bosco, who was a soldier in the rebel army, had claimed his bride. Now Alexis knew that broaching such a sensitive subject would be difficult, so she decided to start slowly. You know, when I first started meeting with them, um, I wanted to first start with the more happier parts of their memories. I started with their childhoods, um, the things they liked to do, their interests, their families. Some of those interviews she would do with both of them together, but not always. During that time, I mean, sometimes they would be together. Often, you know, one or the other would have to go take care of the kids or cook or do something around the house. So it ended up um, often being, often interviewing them separately. Slowly, she began to piece together what had happened. She heard how, after being dragged into the forest with her sister, Eunice was marched, along with dozens of girls, for miles, until they came to the rebel army's camp. Bosco recalled choosing his unconsenting wife. Their first night together, Eunice told him to stay away. He raped her anyway. The following months were strained, Alexis heard. And yet somehow, over time, and against the backdrop of the unrelenting brutality of the Civil War, the two became closer. They had experienced similar horrors, being forced under threat of death to kill or mutilate innocent villagers they came across. Now, in the camp, they were constantly finding themselves on the run from the government troops who were chasing down the LRA, and they were experiencing periods of desperate hunger. We were happy to have each other because we thought we were all we had left, Eunice told Alexis. Four years after they first met, Eunice gave birth to a boy. They called him Edmund. And then they knew they had to leave. Eunice and Bosco escaped the clutches of the LRA, but it was a perilous process. Eunice left first, picking a quiet moment and then walking as confidently as she could muster away from the camp and onwards. After a tense wait, Bosco joined her. They set up home together, tried to make a life and put the horrors of what they'd experienced behind them. 
but the LRA had cast a long and dark shadow across the country. Thousands of people had been traumatised by Joseph Coney's rebel army. And so most could just not accept Bosco and his bushwife. It was a hard story to hear. Sitting there, spending hour upon hour with both Eunice and Bosco, Alexis found herself needing to keep her own emotions and judgments in check, especially when hearing about how their now-loving relationship had started with such a horrifying rape. It's not easy because when I'm hearing the story of Eunice's sexual assault, of course I'm feeling um, upset for her and, um, you know, feeling like this was something wrong um, that happened to her. But at the same time, when I'm talking to Bosco, I want, I genuinely want to hear what um, the experience was like for him too. And I think that the way I was able to reconcile it in my mind was, was knowing that they were children at the time, that this was something that both of them um, didn't want to go through, you know, they didn't want to be abducted, they didn't want to be forced to commit um, violence. And so, um, you know, it was, it was a constant test, I think, to, to withhold judgment, to listen openly to both of them. And, and that, I think, was aided by the fact that, um, you know, I was continually grateful that they were opening themselves up to me at all. And so I figured I might as well you know, do them the, the, the service of, of trying, um, of trying to be, uh, of trying not to be judgmental. Alexis was doing these deep, intensely personal interviews through a translator. Now that can sometimes be a hindrance. Nuance can get lost in questioning. Making a personal connection is hard with this wall of incomprehension between you. But in this case, Alexis actually found her translator's own lived experience made things easier. When I got to the parts of their of their lives that were more unsettling, you know, their abductions, their times in captivity, um, I was greatly aided by Victor, the interpreter, who had had a similar experience. He was abducted as a child. He later escaped. And I found that he often um, just had you know, it gave me great guidance on how to approach certain subjects. When it came to the time that Alexis wanted to ask Eunice about the rape, she brought in a female translator, aware that that might make things more comfortable. So I, you know, I was always trying to um, be sensitive to their experiences and also, you know, to make sure to be human at the same time and not just sort of um, issue question after question. You know, if I'm asking a question and they answer with, with something that was very difficult, I wanted to take a moment to say, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, you know, let's take a break. You know, just express my own sympathy in order to show that this is a conversation, this is a dialogue, and this is not just me expecting them to, to list all the worst things that have ever happened to them. Now, she knew she wanted to talk to others that knew Eunice and Bosco, partly to double-check some of the parts of their story, but also to hear how those that knew them dealt with this untraditional and complicated relationship. So after some persuasion, she came to interview Eunice's mother, but it didn't go smoothly. You know, I mean, I, I explained to her that I was a journalist, but because there was such stigma against um, couples like Eunice and Bosco in the community, I mean, really against all returned um, former soldiers of the LRA, um, she didn't want to say anything that would get them in trouble. 
You see, there was all kinds of stigma surrounding those that had returned from the LRA troops. And there were constant rumours about law enforcement coming to arrest those that had been caught up in the violence. And so at first she was telling me a story that no, they had been a couple before they had been abducted, that nothing had been gone wrong. Um, and then later, um, you know, kind of admitted that, that was not the case. So yeah, it was, it was, um, I guess, you know, with the journalistic process, it's, it's a constant struggle of trying to get your subjects to trust you. And, um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Eventually, Alexis managed to work out from all the different parties involved what had really gone on. And with a powerful story in hand, she left Uganda and flew back to the States. But she couldn't get the thought of Eunice and Bosco out of her head. Yeah, I felt very affected by their story because I think by virtue of spending so much time with the subject, um, inevitably getting close to them, caring about them, caring about what happens to them. Um, they become part of their lives and you become part of theirs. And it's, you know, it's not really easy or nor possible to really forget about them. And so hearing about these really traumatic um, details, hearing about their struggle to, to, um, to now, you know, sort of live life as normally as they can, but with st still struggles ahead of them. Um, it was something that was hard to forget, and it was something that, um, and it was something that was, um, you know, that that kept that I kept being reminded of as I transcribed their interviews, as I wrote about them. She tried to push it aside, but just couldn't let it go, and that's when she decided she needed to go back and hear more. But it wasn't just Alexis who was impacted by those interviews. Soon, she'd learn how others were affected too. 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Months have passed, and Alexis was heading back to Uganda. She'd got a book deal. The idea was to tell the stories of everyday men and women living with extremism in Africa. And she knew she wanted to include Eunice and Bosco's story in that book. It was only when she'd arrived back in Uganda that she heard their concerns. Eunice and Bosco's son, Edmund, was sick. He was experiencing sort of shaking spells, seizures almost, um, that they that they believed were due to a kind of possession, that they felt like the, the spirits of the people they had killed were now committing revenge on them by, by possessing their, their son and, um, and, and making him ill. He would yell out things like, um, you know, why are you killing me? Or, or other phrases that Eunice and Bosco believed their, their victims had said to them. And to me, it kind of seemed something like sort of secondary trauma. The parents had tried to keep all the details of what they'd experienced in the bush from their young son. But one day he confided in his mother, telling her that during Alexis's first visit, he had listened in to some of the interviews. And that was, you know, it was tough to hear. You know, I felt bad because whenever we were doing interviews, we had tried to, you know, keep the children away. But obviously that wasn't successful. You know, as reporters, we go in um, to do stories and we try to be sort of objective and like, um, you know, not really interfere in our subjects' lives as much as possible. But, you know, it happens. It's, it's inevitable for it to happen, whether it's, um, you know, affecting the, the, the path of, of, of our subjects' lives or affecting even the small details. It happens. And so it's, I think it's interesting to investigate um, you know, why and when that happens and, and, and what, what results. Despite the impact on their lives, Eunice and Bosco said they were happy to have talked to Alexis. After all that time spent with them, she was surprised just how happy a life they'd managed to build together. And the more she talked to other people, she realised just how unusual Eunice and Bosco's relationship was. Many couples were much less content. Like when I was interviewing Ida, who um, was a young woman who was forcibly married to um, Michael, a commander in the LRA. And, um, you know, she was living with him. She had reunited with him. And it was clear to me that she wasn't happy being with him. Um, They had had a very abusive relationship while in captivity. And I asked her, you know, um, is is this someone you love? Do you love him? And she goes, yeah, I love him. but then, but then she admitted she doesn't really know what love is, and I thought, wow, like this is, this is this is another story here, you know. Um, Eunice and Bosco are one story, but they're not the only story. Of what happens to these people who are forced um, to be together while in captivity by this rebel group? 
you know, theirs had their own certain ending and they're, that they're still making out together and they're trying to be happy together. But then there's also this other story of this woman who, you know, it, it didn't work out for her and she's trying to make the best of it, the best of it as she can, but it's not a happy story. In 2017, the book was published, and seeing her first book on the shelves was a strange sensation. Yeah, no, it's it's weird. It's it's um, it's it's very satisfying because you feel like okay, I've I've put this into the world. Um, it was the result of a lot of a lot of hard work, and um, and it feels like kind of a, you know a testament to the years I've spent reporting in Africa. Um, and also hopefully something I can add on to one day, you know, when I do return to reporting on the continent, you know, uh, a foundation to which I can add more work. And to this day, Alexis is kept in touch with Eunice and Bosco. I am, and I'm actually really hoping to be able to get to Uganda later this year and visit them. That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. Thanks to Alexis Okewo. Her beautiful book, A Moonless Starless Sky, is out now. Our theme music is by Dice Muse, another music in this episode by Poddington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions and Springtide. We're on Twitter at Tip Off Podcast or at MaveMCC. And please do take a moment to leave us a review in iTunes. And then stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.